All right, so as feared, I have forgot to start the stream on recording this for Audible, which is not a great way to build an audience. Is every episode except for one so far since I've switched to the live stream has uh, has been truncated in some way because of user error. Um, being a one-man production company here, I should just start that thing recording and then trim off the dead space rather than try to actually manage it. But that's how it goes. If you listen to this on Anchor, welcome to the Goat Kicker podcast. I am, of course, Carl D. Smith, and the D stands for doghouse is where I will be for those of you who only listen to the audio um, if you, for some reason, want to see what uh, you missed on the first 20 minutes or so of this, please check me out on my YouTube channel or over on my Twitch account. These episodes will be in both of those places, although the Twitch account, they do expire after a week or two, uh, but uh, Anchor and YouTube are forever or so I'm led to believe. So I do apologize. You didn't miss any topics, maybe a little rambling about friendship, but um, you're here for the juicier, juicier stuff, and uh, that's what we're getting into right now. I have been absolutely obsessed with sumo wrestling, and it is night 12 of a 15-day tournament, which are held six times a year, um, three in Tokyo and three elsewhere in other prefectures so that uh, sumos can travel. And... Um, and I'm going to miss it when it's gone, and it's going to be a long wait to the next one. Um, it's rekindled two things for me. Uh, one is it's rekindled a, a love of consuming a sport and rooting for people and learning about the stories and, uh, you know, kind of the side notes that are going on other than the clash in the ring. Um, it's been fun. And um, I've sort of passively watched football this year after a few years of, you know, probably several years of not watching it all. Um, and it's fine. I like football. I like competition. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch the heroics and the heartbreak. Um, and uh, I don't know the people and I don't know the stories and I don't care when it comes to NFL. Um, I used to be a big fan of March Madness, and I would throw myself into that with the tournament sheet in front of me. I would take some days off of work and then sit around and watch those first couple of days and, you know, have these big hopes of crushing whoever's pool I was in and then being out of it by the end of the first night, you know. But um, I haven't really had a joy of sports uh, other than baseball. Um and even then, baseball has been kind of sour since uh, since the Cubs won the World Series. Um, they kind of struggled and then started bleeding off uh, players that I enjoyed. And um, there's an entire team now of, of guys I don't know, um, but uh, it's sort of reset baseball for me. And being a Cubs fan, the Cubs are a constant, and um, they'll be there. And there are stories that kind of come out through the season as you follow it. And, um, and I'm excited for that, but uh, as much as I love baseball, it's hard to sustain baseball every year um, at a level of discovery. Um, you get a little jaded to it. You've kind of seen a lot happen. Um, there's teams you just don't bother to watch. Uh, but when you find a new sport that you get into, and like sumo, um, 
there's a lot to learn and a lot of nuance. And every time something sort of connects with you, that uh, you start to see a pattern or a technique or a skill or or a personality, um, it's intriguing. And it sort of reminds me of why sports have such a geeky base of people who go nutty for it as it is, is because of that exact reason. It's There's a lot of drama with sports, um, a lot of uh, underdogs and a lot of mean guys that keep getting away with doing things they shouldn't and people doing things the right way and maybe not getting ahead and people on paths to redemption and, and sumo embodies all of that. And I've just absolutely thrown myself into it. It doesn't hurt that I'm a bit of a Japanophile. Um, I have been since junior high. Um, I've been interested in uh, Japanese culture, in Japanese history, uh, Japanese arts. Uh, some of it was uh, probably misdirected or or uh, or very pedestrian. Um, and some of it is maybe a little deeper in that I, a lot of their attitudes uh, are similar to what my default attitude is within me. And I, I find some resonation there, uh, especially in their arts. But um, but that doesn't hurt at all either, that this is something born of that culture. It's not just a goofy sport that they enjoy. It's something that's hand-in-hand with a very, very Japanese um, cultural and artistic uh, history. Um, the commercials uh, have been nutty. The channel that I watched Sumo on uh, that sort of sparked my interest in it, um, the man who controls that stream gets tired of the same rotation of commercials that are shown on uh, the source of his live coverage and so he plugs in uh, additional Japanese commercials uh, from a YouTube channel or something. And they are fantastic and weird. And for products that I still am not sure what they are always. One of my favorites right now is there's this whole stream of um, McDonald's commercials for their uh, different burgers and so on. And they're animated uh, animated characters, um, are shilling the different things on the menu and their eighties, like icons of anime. So one is Jigen and, and Lupin of Lupin the third, uh, no Fujiko, which is a shame. Uh, but, uh, but you know, they're eating French fries and burgers and there's another one with Char from Gundam. Uh, which is weird, but it's also awesome. Uh, it's just really neat to see all their pop culture and uh, that sort of cultural trash, let's call it, of of the whole advertising and um, you know the commodities and the consumerism, and to kind of see their brand of it is is very interesting and very fun. Um, they advertise, uh, you know. We tend to think of Japan, I think, in the nerd kingdom as being that goofy place that has wild food and wild cartoons and everybody's in the manga and uh, Godzilla and Ultraman and Power Rangers and, you know, those sorts of things. And um, you start to realize that, you know, there's more to it than that. It's an actual culture and those are just features of it that we've 
made commodities over here. But the, the truth of the matter is, is those things are pretty substantially influential over there, um, maybe as much or in different ways than we uh, expect them to be. And it's neat to see them break through. And so they'll advertise things like, you know, anime-themed gotcha games for your phone or, um, you know, they'll use anime or manga characters to advertise things like shampoo or like acne cream, Um and they'll just straight up advertise manga and anime itself and video games. Um, we're seeing a hand-picked collection of commercials, so it's not really scientific. But um, but they are just a bunch that are drawn from a particular, uh, you know, ad cycle. And um, I think it's a pretty good cross-section. And it's pretty neat. Uh, a lot of movie stars and musicians that we don't know, um, shilling products uh, as celebrity spokespeople. Um, there's some recognizable faces that show up as well, and so that's kind of fun. But um, they advertised a lot of manga, and it sort of sparked that thing in my brain that, like, Carl the manga fan, Carl the Japan Japanese, you know, aficionado, uh hadn't read a manga in a while. So I took the recommendation of one of the commercials of something that they were advertising. And I don't know what they were advertising except for, you know, there's that little tagline because they're using those characters kind of like we'd like, don't miss Godzilla in theaters, you know, uh, starring, uh, I can't remember who was in it now, the terrible one in the nineties that God, that Taco Bell used, but, um, you know, sort of like that, you know, it's, it's a commercial for something else. And then at the end, there's an actual product that they're kind of synergizing with. And that product happened to be Hunter x Hunter. And so um, I did some brief search of what it was about, because I do have some limits of what I can stomach with, um, with manga. Um, one of the things that bothers me about manga, and the reason I don't really own any anymore, is because... Um, it piles up as bad as comic books, but it's even harder to store because of its size and uh, and its awkwardness and the volumes and volumes and volumes of it, and um, and the way that uh, you know I can have five or six different series of a comic book that I'm reading at the time and maybe collecting and pulling multiple issues of. And they take up a box at most. With manga, it's it's not that easy. And they're different sizes and different thicknesses. And my shelves reveal a lot of wasted space if you shelve it, unless you do it three, three or four deep or, or pile it up sideways. And then it looks weird. And it's this whole sort of aesthetic thing that really drives me nuts, which is you know, a topic we talked about before, that when you like to look at your stuff more than you like to read it, that maybe that's a problem anyway. But uh, but that's one problem with manga that I have. It's just it takes over and it's it, it takes up a lot of space and a lot of real estate. But uh, the other things I don't like is um, some of it is very childish uh, in a way that I appreciate and enjoy. But that part of my leisure time is sort of gone. Is and it hasn't always been that way. I mean, here in my adult life, I did enjoy things that were sort of fun spirited and, and youthful. Um, but, um, there's this level of, of cute 
and childish that I, I don't have room for anymore. I just don't have the RAM for it. Not that I want things to be edgy and, and, um, and gross, but, um, I have to make sure that it's not overly cute, overly kawaii. <laughs> but, um, so a lot of that stuff I have to screen out. And then on the other side of the coin, I don't like a lot of gore. I don't like a lot of sexual content and manga is unashamed at presenting the full gamut of whatever, uh, is out there. It will show up somewhere. And, um, there might be something with an incredible premise that just constantly has the type of graphic content that I'm not interested in. Um, one thing that we don't recognize maybe is that uh, a lot of the manga that we have experience with here currently in the United States comes in those, you know, these little paperback chunks. These are the Japanese version of a trade paperback um, after being released for several cycles in a monthly or weekly magazine. They're collected, sometimes edited and cleaned up um, or added to and then represented as tankobans, which I'm not showing you the right side because it's, you know, backwards from English expectations. And so then you have these trade paperbacks. And so for nine, ten bucks, you get, you know, a month's worth of stories collected. And, um, and they have to sell whatever that source material was, uh, week to week to week with a lot of, uh, competition. And so a lot of that lurid content will sneak into even what would seem otherwise, you know, young adult, um, or all ages type premise, because, uh, you got to get a wide swath of, of, of eyes on the product and it's competing with things that are equally as, as eyebrow raising. So, there's, there's a lot of different niches, a lot of different genres. They don't really easily define themselves because they seem so wild and crazy to us, but they're just natural extensions of, of what's selling over there. You know, that's the superhero comics of, of Japan are the urban horror investigation, love triangle, you know, all the pathos, all the soap opera stuff thrown into one bag and then they have to do something a little different to separate it from everything else. And so there'll be a gimmick. And uh, again, um, sometimes that gimmick becomes the uh, mature content that I'm not a big fan of. So it's, it's unavoidable um, because it is a mature um, medium. Um, not that comics aren't a mature medium either, but um, it's a different culture with different sensibilities. Um, even something that's otherwise... Uh, groundbreaking, uh, and, uh, revered in America. Um, for instance, Ghost in the Shell will have entire chunks that are nothing but basically like pornographic four page side story just to kind of keep everybody's blood boiling, uh, as they're reading this deep story about AI and, um, technology and man's place and what the next evolution for us is. So it, it's really weird. Um, if you've watched any of Neon Genesis, um, which I still think we don't fully get the point of here. Um, and I think itself kind of lost its way partway through its 20 some odd episodes. But, um, but, uh, if you've watched it, you know there's content in there that seems sort of out of 
context with with what else is going on and and some of the philosophical stuff that's happening and um, that's pretty common that's pretty common so where i'm going with all this with me liking japan and me watching sumo and me getting re-interested in manga and looking at what's available on the american market and downloading some to my kindle paperwhite um it's a slippery slope because you end up becoming a fan that goes native, that you have Pocky, you eat sushi all the time, you start to get um, you know instant noodles, but you're only buying the ones from the Japanese or, or Pan-Asian grocery store. Um, you use chopsticks and bowls and things that you bought from Jap- Japan. You buy Japanese candy, and you start to have uh, Japanese trinkets around the house and start to learn some of the language and this, as it serves you, and it becomes a little weird. And it's a perfectly fine hobby, and I'm all for anyone just kind of finding their passion creatively. Um, but when it comes to culture, uh, there's this weird feeling that I get, and I'm one that dives clear in. I want some immersion. I want to know what fuels these people. What are they buying from the 7-Eleven? Or, you know, what, what do they do in their downtime? Or what are their schools like? What are their jobs like? What are their ambitions, you know, once they're adults? And what's expected of them? And, you know, those things are interesting as an anthropologist. But um, I think as a fan, when it comes to a hobby, it can be disrespectful. And you start to ape style and and trends and there's like this hint of it not being genuine uh, and instead being a little bit almost like a minstrel show or whatever the Japanese version of, of blackface would be. And it gets to be a little bothersome. And so I personally have never gone to one of the anime conventions here locally, and I'm not criticizing those. I'm sure they're run by people who are very dedicated to that community and a lot of these books that I'm interested in are only still available to me in the year 2023 because of people like that who are willing to throw money and time at these wonderful, um, these wonderful hobbies. But, but the problem, I think, is, is some of that crowd, and that's something I don't want to be a part of, I think has, has gone a little too native. I, I think that they, they've, they've missed the point of of cultural uh, appreciation and slipped into what I would call cultural appropriation. And, um, you know, down to where they'll not even lecture their friends about the proper way to use their chopsticks or, you know, make tea, but they make it with this whole big rigmarole at home where they never drank tea before they had Coke like everybody else. But now they've got a little Kyushu pot and they've got a little thing and they've got the special tea and they, can't use hot water. They've got to buy iodized water and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it, it, it smacks of you wanting to be something that you're not. And it is almost insulting to me, um, to those people who are actual people. They're not a story. They're not avatar and uh, you wanting to dress up blue and, and live in the trees and be like them. These are actual people who are just born in a culture removed and somewhat sheltered from the rest of the world. Um, and we're able to come up with this, this wild and original and interesting and compelling society with its own troubles 
and its own uh, things that we should cluck our tongue at, as well as things that we should marvel at. And um, it's fine. It's fine to be interested in that and to be fixated on that. But there's a line there somewhere when you start to amass all of your hobbies and all of your free time on things based around one culture that um, you can cross and it becomes problematic. And I'm curious if that's always the case, you know, um, people who get a little too into, uh, you know, Anglophiles, you know, uh, there was a great uh, thing I watched not long ago on YouTube and it seemed like a put on, but uh, it was during the World Cup about the the last or only soccer hooligan, you know, in New Jersey. And um, it was a guy who's patterned his whole life after his understanding of what it's like to be, you know, a lad uh, who's obsessed with football in, you know, some English town. Um, and that fire and that passion that he has for his local uh, MLS team, but you know, it not really translating well. It just makes him look like a clown because it's appropriation. It's um, him cosplaying his life after this understanding of of something that's very natural and organic and and uh, and let's face it, alien to the experience that most of us will have. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, People who take on style, personal style, uh, mannerisms, hobbies uh, that are really steeped into a particular culture, uh, geographical culture or um, genetic culture or historical culture um, that they don't belong to and don't have any real connection to. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to say where, where that line is. Where do you become a white hip-hop fan and when does it become a problem? Uh, you know, where maybe you need to stay in your lane a little bit more. Um, you know, where where do you become someone who, who really wants to learn Spanish and appreciates the beauty and, and uh, the culture of Mexico? And where does it become a problem that you're a little too obsessed with uh, the Day of the Dead and, and the dress and, and the slang and the food? Uh, at what point do you do you say, look, I've gone too far, and this is this is kind of gross? Um, it's probably different for different people, but um, but I can see with my own eyes uh, and uh, with the community and with um, personalities I've interacted with over the last twenty years, thirty years, forty years, um, that there is a definite spot, and it can be crossed, and it does get crossed. Um, so I'd be curious to hear what people think about that. Um, I'll definitely look for some feedback I, whether we get it or not depends on anybody's listening to this, but, um, but I'll put it out there. Where do you think it's too far to, um, to throw in with a bunch of cultural interests that aren't your culture and can you become overly obsessed and, um, can you identify incorrectly with a culture um, and become the silk robe ponytail guy that lives his life by the Bushido code, you know, in small town Iowa at a strip mall dojo that you've started? Because when you were a kid, you saw a few Chiba movies and um, it changed your life. Or, 
Red Musashi or saw Ruroni Kenshin manga at Barnes and Noble and it changed your life. And I'm not even going to talk about Dragon Ball Z, about the effect it's had on the culture. But, but anyway, that's my, that's my sumo manga cultural appropriation topic for the day is, is there a line when you start to embed yourself into a culture um, as a trivial pursuit for yourself or an intellectual pursuit where there's lines you shouldn't cross. You know, people used to give um, Nicolas Cage a hard time uh, because he married Lisa Marie Presley, you know, rest in peace, uh, her, but because he was such an Elvis fan and an Elvis collector and then he marries Elvis's daughter, you know, there was sort of that kind of like, this isn't right you know (laughs) this is maybe a line has been crossed here and you don't know and we don't know what the particulars are but the optics were bad and um and that's the sort of thing i'm talking about is like when have you situated yourself in a passion for something that you're not a part of so deeply that you appropriate to a level you should apologize and back off so to close out this shorter, less planned goad kicker. Um, I want to ramble a little bit about manga. Um, my introduction to manga was pretty early on um, in its life cycle here in the United States. Um, you know, Astro Boy was being printed, I believe, by Now Comics. My sister had some of those, my younger sister, uh, and we loved it. We kind of loved the, the cheekiness of it. Um, we... Um, those weren't translations of the Japanese manga by Tezuka. Uh, it was actually different stories, but you know, that vibe was there that, um, that we liked. Um, and of course, speed racer was around Robotech, uh, uh, battle of the planets type stuff. And I was hooked early on and manga existed, uh, at some of the comic book shops and, in the whispers and stories of the older kids that we met that were a little more involved in the hobby than I had the option to. Um, And uh, they told of all these crazy Japanese books and what they were about. But manga through Viz uh, and through First Comics and a few others uh, started to be introduced to the American market through... um, regular American comic books format. And it isn't a good marriage because the length and the size and everything about it, flipping left to right versus right to left, all the things are different. And so the versions we got had a lot of effort put into making them Americanized in one way or another, right down to some content being uh, removed or uh, translations needing to be done where people weren't qualified to do translating work of that caliber. And so we had uh, Ranma One Half. Uh, we were getting comic books of Ranma One Half, and it would take a tremendous amount of issues to get through what would be the contents of one Tankuban. Um, Lone Wolf and Cub, with the beautiful covers by Frank Miller and, and Sinkevich and, and everyone who worked on. Uh, those covers to present this influential Japanese manga that they were exposed to in this beautiful story. Um, reformatted again uh, in a totally different size to be read in a totally different direction. 
images were flipped, uh, you know, sound effects were changed, uh, translations were different, and the story was never finished because it took a tremendous amount of these volumes to just get through this pretty voluminous uh, story. Um, Akira was another one that was probably one of the early things to expose people to manga. Um, Marvel uh, made it available in prestige format through Epic. Again, it was reversed and flipped and computer colored. Uh, the original one wasn't in color, which is something I still want to own as a full set in color. I wish Marvel could make that happen or Kadansha or someone, but um, I'll be happy with the set that I have now. But, uh, but yeah, um, those are the things that sort of introduced us to manga. And when those goofy-shaped books first started coming out, I was there on the ground floor, and they weren't flipped yet, but they were getting closer and closer to that paperback size. And, you know, through the early 2000s, thanks to the commitment of shelf space through places like Borders and Walden Books and um, B. Dalton uh, towards the end of its run and uh, Barnes & Noble, um, it became a thing. And then it became a section. And then it became a place where if you went into the uh, bookstore, there would be any number of, of young teenage kids uh, sitting on the ground reading manga because they couldn't afford it or were curious. And it became a whole scene. And we now get stuff pretty soon or, or pretty close to concurrent with the releases in Japan and we're getting a bigger variety of stuff. There's more publishers involved. Um, it's printed the proper way. It's available digitally. Um, it, it's just it's a marvelous time for people who like visual art and storytelling from a different culture. And the ideas and the genres that persist in, in the art styles uh, that differ from the options here in the United States. Now... We could have a debate that if you had a good comic book store and a good comic book seller that you could probably scratch all those itches with things made here in the good old U.S. of A. or maybe even some stuff that's been imported from, you know, France or Belgium or, you know, uh, Italy uh, that uh, for years has gone criminally undernoticed. But there is unmistakably a, a vibe in most manga from way back in the 60s to the current stuff today uh, that isn't easily uh, or appropriately copied in Western comic books. And it's got its own niche and it's got its own reason to exist and it's fun and it's exciting and it's expensive and it takes up a bunch of room and you already buy comic books. You probably shouldn't be doubling down on hobbies that are so similar, but you appreciate storytelling um, manga is going to be there for you. And I, I feel privileged to have been involved with it since it first came over. Um, and to remember what the shelves looked like as they began to grow and the options and which titles were available. And one of the things that warms my heart is to see certain titles still kind of have that evergreen appeal. Akira is one of them, but that's like a lightning strike you know, of, of creativity, uh, because of the double hit with the, it being one of the first anime that came over here and being so high quality and the manga and the quality of the writing and the art and all that. But 
something like an, an artist like Rumiko Takahashi, who um, who did Rama One Half and Mason at Koku, and uh, I forget what the cat girl's name was. Is it Yatsura? That doesn't seem right. But she made a lot uh, uh, in Yuyasha. Uh, she made a lot of series that had a huge impact, uh, not only in Japan, but in United States. And to see her still putting out uh, series in modern times, Mao came out here recently. Um, she's uh, not solely involved with, but um, is uh, has some input to a new series of Inuyasha that's about Inuyasha's daughter uh, that I saw. And it's just neat to see her still active because she was boots on the ground, one of the first people uh, when North America starting started to accept manga into its shelves and um, had those stories uh, that sparked that interest to to have someone that would dedicate to multiple volumes and to seek out the anime and t-shirts and toys and so on. She was there early with just a handful of people and um, and she's still out there working. It's fantastic. And um, I've always wondered why when they celebrate women in this genre that Rumiko doesn't get more more airtime because uh, it's impressive what she's accomplished um, and how influential her stuff has been. Um, so I've been reviewing some stuff online. I'm officially reading through Sandman Mystery Theater currently, but I'm falling behind. Tim is going to finish the whole series before I even get done with it. But I've also been taking some side tangents uh, in my private reading time, which I still try to have, even though I'm just absolutely buried with all these other things going on. Um, and uh, it, it's been nice to revisit manga. And um, I've allowed myself to enjoy it digitally on my Kindle Paperwhite. It would be better on a bigger screen. It's a small device but it looks good in black and white. Um, sometimes it's hard to read. You might have to zoom in. It's not ideal. They don't always set it up for guided panels. Um, you have to press the opposite side of the, uh, of the Kindle to get it to flip the right way, but um, I, I've allowed myself to indulge in that, and it's been a nice revisit of something, and it feels a little bit like home, um, and it stirs all those things that... Um, were uh, maybe over-enthusiastic in my earlier years uh, about the culture and about wanting to immerse myself in it um, inappropriately deep, maybe. So um, it's fun, and it's uh, an experience that I would recommend everybody do at some point in their life is find a manga that they like and just read it. Uh, you don't even have to finish the series usually. Uh, so many of them end poorly, but that journey is what's important. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about those in context of other topics we bring up. I won't exclude manga from the discussion when we talk about sequential um, serialized uh, storytelling. Um, but uh, it's interesting how different it is and, and how tied to a culture that's foreign from our own and uh, how universal those characters still can be. So anyway, until next time, everybody, I hope you're safe with the weird weather. 
I hope you're taking care of yourself. Uh, January is a rotten month. February is not much better. Um, if we can just get through that, spring will be here soon. Uh, and um, hopefully things will lighten up for everybody. Um, I hope you all have friends that you can trust to be decent human beings, as we talked about on the part that didn't make it on the audio. <laughs> and I hope that if you need to reach out to somebody that you feel comfortable doing that. And um, I definitely uh, am not opposed to you reaching out to me if uh, you need to rant about something. If you have any ideas about the things we talk about on this episode or this show or in past episodes, reach out to me on Twitter at Carl Smith Writer. Um, you can email me if you care to, carlsmithwriter at gmail.com. Um, you can find me on Twitch, Carl Smith Games. Um, I changed my approach a little bit with that. I canceled my um, capture card. I think if I'm going to game online, we'll just game on the PlayStation 4 until it turns into a smoking pile of junk. And um, you don't need to see my face as I play through Final Fantasy. We'll just do it on the PlayStation. And um, But streaming will become a bigger part of this channel when that drops. But I still intend to continue to stream Goad Kicker until we're down to just one download a week. And um, since I download it every week, there's one. So in the meantime, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and we'll see you next week.